Hello and welcome to Becoming Educated, the podcast that aims to discover the secrets to great teaching. I'm your host, Darren Leslie, and this week I am joined by Abby Hughes. Abby is the Assistant Head Teacher for Teaching and Learning and the Head of Divinity at the West London Free School. In this episode, I follow up on Abby's excellent talk for the We Are in Beta Curriculum Thinkers Group, and we explore the following and so much more. The seven principles of a West London Free School lesson, divinity, the divinity curriculum, and why E.D. Hirsch notes no person in the modern world could be considered educated without a basic knowledge of all the great religions of the world. How Abby and her team teach their divinity curriculum using an excellent set of principles, and why Abby teaches using textbooks, and why myths about using textbooks are plain wrong. And finally, how Abby prepares for a lesson. This was an excellent insight into an incredibly well thought out curriculum and I was blown away by the preparation and level of thinking that Abby undertakes to ensure that each lesson is high energy and has maximum return on learning. Abby, thank you so much for joining me on Becoming Educated this evening. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm absolutely delighted and extremely flattered to have been invited. <laughs> no, I, I, I just had to, as I said off there, I had to bring you on. I loved your talk with the, the We Are and Beta Curriculum Thinkers Group and I just wanted to share that and pick your brain a little bit more on the podcast. So we're going to dive in to discuss a little bit about what you shared there. But before we do that, can you share a little, little bit about yourself and your career to date, please? Yeah, uh, of course. Uh, so um, I'm one of those people who pro- who always kind of wanted to be a teacher, I think. Um, I used to like teach my teddy bears as, as a kid. Uh, I had like a register and, and everything. Um, I had a bank bed and obviously teddy bears tend to turn up to all of your lessons. So if I ever wanted to mark a teddy bear absent, I would have to chuck it off the bunk bed just so I could put the little the little O in the register of my teddy bears. So yeah, I think I always wanted to be a teacher. Um, and I I briefly dabbled when I was a teenager with the idea of um, of kind of doing law or something else. Um, but I came across uh, the, the Teach First programme whilst I was at university um, and decided that I really wanted to do that as soon as I left. So I trained to teach fresh out of uh, university um, and I trained at school in Birmingham and I did my two years there. And then I moved down to London and joined West London Free School. Uh, and I've been at West London for five years now, um, or this is my fifth year. I've done a variety of different roles at the school. Um, so when I joined, I joined as a just a teacher of divinity, um, which is what we call RERS at, at West London. Uh, and then I was kind of recruited and trained up by Rob Orm, who was the head of department there when I joined. Um, and he really is the guru of all things divinity teaching. So anything that I've ever learned about teaching and about RE is, is, is him, essentially. Um, and then after I did... Um, I did uh, a, a year of teacher of divinity, then I did a year of head of year and dipped my toe in the, the world of pastoral work um, and uh, then swiftly retreated. It's really hard pastoral work. <laughs> um, and then <laughs> then I did uh, head of divinity for a couple of years uh, and I then joined the uh, senior leadership team um, as assistant head teacher for teaching and learning this year. So this is my first year um, 
as a senior leader. And still, I don't can't quite believe it. <laughs> That's brilliant. How have you found that transition into senior leadership? Uh, it's it's good. It's I mean it's it's a really wonderful thing to feel like you're kind of affecting change on a on a higher level and on a whole school level. Um, but I, I, I'd miss teaching a little bit. I, I teach, I still teach, um, teach a lot and get to teach year 11 and year 13 and some year nine. Um, and that really is the best part of my week is the lessons that I teach. That's kind of why you enter the job, right? So um, it's, it's a weird teaching less, um, but it's great. The, the flip side of that is that you affect change on a, on a wider scale. So it's, it's, it's a great job and, and teaching and learning. Um, well, I think it's the best position you could possibly have on an SLT so I feel very like immensely privileged that I get to do it um, and at such a fantastic school no brilliant. certainly <laughs> I, I, I don't, don't mind that at all I've had one of your former colleagues on the podcast and, and Louis Everett and he said the, the very mm. same same thing but I, I totally agree with what you say there the teaching and learning role is just absolutely phenomenal the, the, and the change that you can affect and I love going way back to I love how you and Mark Teddy Bears is absent by chucking him away I love that just born and always to be a teacher but before we dive in I, I absolutely love that you call it divinity and not um, yeah. religious education or religious studies it sounds something about Harry Potter I'm, I'm half expecting that some know. of your topics are going to be like Leglamency <laughs> and Occlamency and, and, and so on how come it's called divinity and, and uh I'd love to say that there was a really exciting answer um but I, I don't think there is I mean I so it was called divinity by the founders of the school back in 2011 um and I think the idea of it was to sort of lend an air of mystery to it. And I think that's sort of fitting for the subject. Um, we have a few funny pieces of terminology. So we call our terms Michaelmas Lent Trinity. Um, I think perhaps it's born of the idea that we really want to provide a kind of uh, as close to a private school experience as we can to, to pupils who otherwise can't access that kind of education. Um, and so there's that kind of funny La, uh, la- language that we use and we have a latin motto and i think divinity was kind of all part of that um and w- i when i became head of department the the head teacher at the time asked if if i wanted to change it to religious education or religious studies or something more sort of mainstream and i politely declined i like it oh, why not <laughs> oh certainly i'm gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna come back and, and pick your brain about divinity because it's such a, a fascinating fascinating subject um and it's something that often, um, did I say, gets sidelined in some some schools, just as put part of assemblies rather than as main. Curriculum. So I'm going to come back to that a little bit. Um, linking back to an episode I had last year with with Louis Everett, he shared with us the seven principles of a West London free school lesson. Because we're going to dive into a little bit about how you teach um, in West London free school. Can you? Remind us of those seven principles and can you share a little bit of how they translate into your classroom? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, again, I can't take much credit for the seven principles of West London Free School lesson, but I suppose a, a lot of what I do in my job as uh, uh, working in teaching and learning is is to do with making sure these are seen as much as possible across the school in lessons. They're, they're really kind of the, the bread and butter of teaching at West London. Um, and we'd probably expect to see most, if not all, feature in every lesson in some way. Uh, they're the basis of our new staff induction programme, our kind of whole staff training, the way that we give lesson feedback, so on and so forth. Um, so they are. Uh, the first one is knowledge-rich content. 
uh, the idea that teachers should kind of introduce pupils to academically challenging material, uh, the kind of belief that there's a body of knowledge that we want our pupils to be equipped with uh, in order that they might better be able to access the world around them and access opportunities in the future. Um, and I suppose in divinity, that's tr- teaching them academically challenging material in divinity using rigorous academic resources and not shying away from from tough stuff. Um, so, you know, in year nine recently, we've been teaching pupils the fallacy of composition and empiricism and rationalism and Karl Marx and Sigmund Freud. And I, you know, I, I say to the pupils all the time, it's so cool that you learn about this stuff. Normally, this stuff is encountered by pupils at A-level. You're learning about it in year nine. And of course, it's it's modified for a year nine audience, but it's pretty cool that they get to encounter that stuff. Um, so that's knowledge rich content. That's number one. Number two is uh, teacher led lessons. Um, the teacher is in charge of the room and is in charge of sequencing the knowledge in a way that sort of minimizes uh, cognitive overload. Um, and they're also responsible for delivering explanations that are clear and planned and precise um, and all those good things. Um, the third principle of a West London free school lesson is excellent behaviour. So we really want pupils to be working in a calm, purposeful manner and in silence when when they need to be. Um, and there's a big focus on, you know, excellent behaviour doesn't happen by osmosis. Um, the teacher has to do quite a lot of work to make that happen. Um, so uh, lots of uh, focus on clear instructions, uh, being really explicit about what we want behavior in the classroom to look like um having uh clear routines for things and obviously use of whole school rewards uh, and, and behavior policies so house points and c1s and all that kind of business um, the fourth principle of a west london free school lesson is uh, retrieval practice a wonderful thing um so the teacher identifies what the key knowledge of the lesson is uh the, the knowledge that we want pupils to commit to their long-term memories uh and pupils then pr- practice retrieving that normally through regular low stakes quizzing but obviously through all sorts of other verbal retrieval practice that you might do in the lesson uh number five is deliberate practice so doing some work in other words um so uh the teacher models the the procedures and the skills uh that they want pupils to become really good at and then pupils practice those procedures and those skills uh for extended periods of time until they get good at them independently um so what is something really exciting at west london free school this year that we've been uh, we've seen a lot more of is use of the visualizer so we installed standing desks at the start of this year we did have visualizers before um but they weren't being used loads across the school and then we've installed standing desks and oh so many more people are using the visualizer as a result of having the standing desk it just really changes how your ability to 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 use a visualizer and manage behavior at the same time it's yeah i'm a big advocate of standing desks (laughs) um uh, number six uh, of the seven principles of a West London free school lesson is people teacher dialogue. Uh, so I think a, a huge misconception about uh, teacher led teaching and teacher led instruction um, is that it's somehow just a lecture and poor pupils are sat there with their, you know, their drool coming down the side of their mouth and their eyes going dry as they steadily become more bored uh, during a 55 minute lecture. But that is so far from from what teacher led uh, lessons are like, uh, or certainly at West London. Um, the teacher is in kind of an ongoing dialogue with pupils, uh, it's mainly through questioning. Um, and we've had a real push at this uh, at West London over 
over the last 18 months, and I'm sure Louis talked about this, um, on kind of strategies that get people's speaking um in lessons so obviously cold call questioning a lot but things like call or call or response um things like turn and talk so that the pupils are cognitively active to use louis phrase um for 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 the majority of the lesson um or all of the lesson i suppose not the majority all of the lesson um and then finally uh principle number seven of the seven principles is uh, assessment and feedback so the teacher regularly assesses that the pupils understand the stuff that we're teaching them um and then uses whole class and targeted feedback um and kind of is is responsive so uh adjusts their teaching to respond to whatever they've gleaned from their assessment um and i think assessment doesn't necessarily pertain just to uh an end of unit assessment or a quiz or something like that i think uh and data is not necessarily a number in a mark book i think data is anything you gather from walking around the classroom or from asking the people's questions in the classroom so um circulation uh of the classroom and looking at the people's books is that is assessment um so i think uh that's that's a really important part and and uh, of of what we do at west london making sure that they um know the stuff that we've taught them (laughs) Certainly, so much, so, so much, gold, so much gold in there. I absolutely love that kind of mm. definition of people teacher dialogue and, and using different strategies to make sure they're part of the conversation. Standing desks are absolute genius. I never thought of that. But I can imagine you get the standing desk. You can now work at the visualizer, look up, and still be able to manage the room because, as you said, behaviour doesn't happen via osmosis. It needs to be clearly taught and articulated and, and praised and managed and so then, much in there and then monitored yeah i mean i think you can you can you can do all of the front loading of behavior and all of the explicit instructions in the world but you, you still have to watch them <laughs> like um you know even if you're the best person at managing behavior in the world you've got to keep an eye on them so i think standing desks are really you know if you're if you're standing over you know, hunched over a lower desk to to do your visualizer work. You can't monitor the classroom in the same way. If you've got your back to the board, if you've got your back to the class because you're writing on the board, you can't monitor the class in the same way. You can't do your radar. You can't do your BC looking. So, um, yeah, I love a standing desk. Love a standing desk. <laughs> it's brilliant the level of thought that's that's put into that and and how imagine the, imagine the change. Can you give us a little glimpse of what happens under the visualizer? Are teachers can I drawing diagrams as they explain are they are they displaying student work sure yeah so um we've had our friday breakfast session tomorrow is actually from our head of geography simon who's who's doing a session to all staff about how to get the most out of the visualizer so um uh, i can share the slides with you um and he's i we were talking about what the session was going to be like and he's going to model to staff how he that so everyone's going to have a piece of pen and a paper and we're all going to have to do the geography lesson with him i'm very excited about it um what do what do we use visualizers for Uh, modeling um uh how to do a really good answer so whereas you might i might previously have live typed something um i now write it in an exercise book so i have an exercise book for all of my classes that is kind of in essence what happens in my book also happens in their book um so it's modeling really excellent or what what really excellent work looks like it's doing diagrams uh in 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 subjects like you know geography and science and and that sort of thing um worked examples in maths it's uh 
uh, art they often put people work under and show this is the kind of end result from so they take people work from a previous year this is what they produced last year this is what you're going to produce this year um, and then live marking as well so you you know they've all done their tasks you take a people's work and you say this one's really great because of this, this and this um, so there's a variety of different ways that you can do it I, I've been using it with year 11 a lot recently for um uh, kind of modeling revision so we'll make a mind map as a class and then you can kind of zoom out and be like right this is what a really good revision mind map looks like you need to make something like this at home for the next page or whatever um so i think there's i think there's something really powerful in the kind of being able to see exactly what it should look like and in a way that you kind of can't do on the board so on the on the board you can't kind of say right do it in the margin and four lines down and and that kind of thing it's more much more explicit in an exercise book um and i think there's something weirdly mesmerizing to the pupils about it like watching (laughs) watching it all kind of be written in front of them and watching the teacher's hands be i don't know there's something weird about weirdly mesmerizing about it and i think there's something quite powerful as well in like you know if i'm going to fill my exercise book with stuff i don't i'm not even taking the exam you know if i'm going to put my in my exercise book it's got to be in yours um i quite like that kind of you know i've written more than you this lesson and i'm not even doing the exams <laughs> i quite like that kind of uh, sentiment <laughs> no i certainly i totally agree with that mesmerizing and modeling how it's working going on mesmerizing I, I, if, if you don't mind sharing that um i was in a music lesson recently and the music teacher had a visualizer coming down from the roof that for their fingers as they're on the piano so the students can actually see them play the piano as music and, and talk about measurements i was just watching that like wow look at their fingers move it was <laughs> that was for me so it's so cool been, yeah certainly but thank you for that so i'd like to kind of circle back to that kind of that first uh principle about the nords nords conscient because you mentioned a wonderful phrase there about not shying away from the tough stuff um and i'd like to tap into a little bit of your thinking on the divinity curriculum because as Edie Hirsch notes, who I've been doing a lot about recently, he notes that no person in the modern world can be considered educated without a basic knowledge of all the great religions of the world. So with that in mind, can you share a little bit about your divinity curriculum? Of course, yeah. I mean, a good old uh, Edie Hirsch. I, that that quote should surely be the strapline of every RS curriculum around the country, right? I mean, it's just, it's like RE teacher gold. Um, so I, I suppose our Key Stage 3 curriculum kind of essentially attempts to do just that, to, to give pupils, I mean, not just a basic knowledge, but the most detailed knowledge that we can possibly give, given the time constraints of, of a Key Stage 3 curriculum. Um, the best, the most detailed knowledge we can give them of, of the history of the six major world religions um, and their key beliefs and their practices. Um, we actually we actually don't start off with one of the six major world religions. We do two terms in year seven of, of what we call biblical literacy, um, which is essentially a kind of whistle-stop tour of all the major stories of the Old and the New Testament. Um, and that is in part inspired by another Edie Hirsch quote, which is that no one in the English-speaking world can be considered literate without a basic knowledge of the Bible. Um, and I couldn't agree more so i think you know even even prominent atheists like richard dawkins recognize the the need for pupils to know um some of the stories of the bible i mean obviously if you want to understand the abrahamic religions uh then understanding the stories of the bible is a great starting point but uh even if you were never to study christianity or islam or judaism afterwards knowing the stories of the bible is so important for kind of references 
understanding references to it, which are everywhere, songs, artwork, um, plays, novels, uh, all loads, loads of phrases of the English language. So um, the blind leading the blind, a fall from grace, the concept of being a good Samaritan, the concept of a scapegoat, all of that comes from the Bible. Um, so, so it's kind of a question of, of cultural capital, really, that pupils will be better able to understand the world around them if they know some of those, those key stories in the Bible. So we start with the Bible, um, and then we look at the six major world religions in detail as discrete units. So we do a term on Judaism, a term on Christianity, a term on Islam and so on. Um, and we, then we take a pit stop in year nine and we do some philosophy and some ethics. Um, and we look at some kind of key atheist thinkers. So Karl Marx and, and Nietzsche. Um, so it kind of, it, it's academically rigorous. Uh, I think that teaching the, the, um, the, religions as discrete units is the best way to give people a kind of complete understanding of that religion before moving on to the next one um, rather than a kind of bitty understanding um, by jumping about between religions and looking at kind of themes rather than religions as discrete units um, and I think that over time pupils the more they study the, the religions as discrete units the more they're able to recognize commonalities and points of difference between them um, as, as they go on so it it builds and becomes more more of a rich tapestry as they go on i guess <laughs> certainly i love that there's so much so much gold that you said said in there and i love how you the the richness of that curriculum of that understanding of biblical literacy and it's amazing that when you when you said that i recently watched a documentary by what's he called again what's he called again? i listen to his podcast every week i can't remember his name christ i can't remember uh, Melvin Bragg, and he, and it was a, mm. probably one of the first time I'd reckon, I'd heard he was talking about kind of how language evolved through history. And he mentioned those kind of phrases you said about blind leading the blind and good Samaritans coming from the Bible. And it's, it's amazing that when we know these things, how aware we are of them in our newspapers and our news and our books and our films. And it's incredible. So having that knowledge, it just gives you access to things in, mm. in the world. Kind of going back to my own life, I, I read. George Orwell was 1984, just last year. And it, I only just realised that Room 101 and Big Brother came from that. <laughs> like it's, it's just amazing. I if I imagine if I'd read that when I was, when I was younger, watching them, um, Craig and so on in the first Big Brother season, it would have been a, an absolute game changer for me. But <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> going, going, going back to, to, um, this curriculum. On the We're in Beta Webinar, you shared some excellent guiding principles. Can you share for us, what are your guiding principles for, for teaching your curriculum? Uh, yeah, of course, absolutely. Um, so I think yeah, the three probably guiding principles to the way that we teach it. Um, the, the first is that we want to teach the curriculum using the highest impact teaching strategies uh, based on what research tells us that the highest impact teaching strategies are. Uh, so we want direct instruction, we want lots of retrieval practice, lots of deliberate practice, um, and we don't want to pray, uh, we don't want to waste the precious time that we have doing anything that might not be the most effective way to, to teach that thing. Um, I, I was, uh, fortunate enough. I have been fortunate enough to sit in many, um, of Rob Peel's, uh, CPD sessions during my time at West London. And, and something that he often says is that, uh, time is not a luxury that teachers have. And we simply just can't afford to waste time with pupils on, on things that might not be the most effective way of teaching. Um, so, 
yes, highest impact teaching strategies based on what the research tells us that those things are. Um, the second principle that sits behind uh, how we teach is uh, that I really want the teachers in, in the divinity department to be able to, to deliver lessons with lots of welly, um, really high energy lessons. Um, and they can only really do that if, if they're not knackered, if they're not drained. Um, so we think really hard about how long things will take a teacher to do um how long is this going to take for a teacher to do this evening once they finish their lessons for the day um and whether doing that thing is a good use of their time so uh, for instance uh we we don't have any marked homework really um all of our homework is is monitored using peer marked quizzes um we do whole class feedback when we do mark on our essays um we try to front load all of our printing at the start of the year so we print any booklets that we have at the start of the year um so that we don't have teachers having to spend hours at the printers um so how how long is this going to take teachers in my department to do and is that thing going to be really really impactful and if it's going to take them a long time and it's not going to be very impactful then they shouldn't be doing it um and then finally uh everything that that we do in our teaching is about serving the content um the the content is the thing of inherent interest we are passionate subject specialists. Um, we became teachers because we wanted to imbue the pupils in front of us with the same love for our subject that we have ourselves. Um, and so there should really be no need to uh, pique their interest in the subject with anything other than the subject itself. Um, we want pupils to enjoy divinity, not because it's fun, um, although hopefully it is, um, and not because it's a DOS, um, and not because it's where they get to, uh, I don't know, do something on their phone or play bingo or any other kind of such thing. Uh, we want pupils to enjoy divinity because the content of their lessons is really fascinating uh, and there's no need to gamify it. It's interesting all on its own. Um, so all of our tasks and lessons are pretty simple. It's comprehension questions or it's, I don't know, making tables. Um, um, agree and disagree tables, whatever it might be. Um, the content is the kind of complex part of the lessons. And that's what we want pupils to be thinking really deeply about. Um, not the kind of not figuring out how do I do this task or, you know, the nature of the task they're doing. They need to be thinking hard about the stuff, not how they're getting the stuff in their exercise book. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly are. I love those um references to the highest impact teaching strategies and that marries up beautifully with the time and impact we've got such precious time with students in our subjects um and and as you said teaching lessons with lots of welly um through the content is incredible and, and i want to come back to you mentioned this time of impact because it's a fascinating one there'll be so many people listen to that about and they'll have come in my head. I just came so many things that, I, that I've done in my career that I think that was an absolute waste of time. It took me so long and the impact was so minimal. Um, and just about the, the, the no marked homework, you said peer uh, marked quizzes. Could you share a little bit about how that operates? Yeah, so something that we're moving more towards, particularly at Key Stage 3 at West London, and we've been thinking about a lot this year, is moving to almost entirely uh, Key Stage 3 homework based on retrieval practice, practising or revising for quizzes um so 
different departments do this in different ways and there's lots of fantastic online platforms so uh science use an online platform called carousel the mfl department uses this language there's loads of amazing quizzing platforms out there um and in divinity we don't have an online platform um we just have knowledge organizers so the pupils homework is always to revise from a knowledge organizer for a quiz um and they then come into the lesson that the, the day that their homework is due and they sit a 10 question quiz, normally 10 questions, sometimes they're longer if it's an end of unit quiz, but normally they sit a 10 question quiz, which is then marked um, not by the person next to them. Um, we have this routine where they swap with somebody who's not sat next to them um, because if they are, if you, we all know this, if it's the person next to them, then they dispute it. Um, so they say, no, that should be a mark. Oh no, I did. That's what I meant. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and it totally removes the zen in the room whilst you're going through the answers so they mark with someone not sat next to them um and then the teacher takes in the marks obviously the teacher has to do a kind of degree of sense checking so you'll you'll flip through all the the peer marked quizzes to make sure that they have marked them correctly um but it means that i mean it's really impactful because it's retrieval practice and they're recalling content that they need to know and we all know you know about the forgetting curve and about the more we retrieve things to our the forefront of our minds the the more likely we are to remember them so it's really impactful homework it's not massively labor intensive for me. I have to put it on, put it on our online, um, homework platform and then I have to take in their quiz scores, but I'm not spending hours marking. Um, and I think that that's a far better use of, of everybody's, you know, time than me making a million homework sheets and then having to mark them and, you know, someone's dog having eaten one and someone did left it at home and whatever. Um, I just think it's much simpler and much more effective. I totally, totally agree that what we know now about learning strategies with retrieval practice, space practice, I imagine you could build all that into your, into your homework. And can I just, can I ask you about the, is there a knowledge organizer for each of, of the subject, each topic? Does each topic have a knowledge organizer so that the, the retrieval quizzes are different? Yeah, so each each topic has a knowledge organiser, sometimes two. So, well, always two. So the if we're spending a term on Christianity, then the first half term would be spent on the history of Christianity um, and the core beliefs of Christianity. And then the second half term is spent on Christianity in the modern world. That's the way that the textbooks are set up. And I think it's a really good way of teaching, um, teaching it. So there'll be one knowledge organiser for the first half, Christian, the history of Christianity and the beliefs of Christianity, and this, another one for Christianity in the modern world. Um, um, so yeah, the, the the pupils are only ever tested on stuff that they have learnt so far on the knowledge organizer. So for their first quiz in Christianity, they're only going to be learning the first five words on the knowledge organizer. Then the next quiz, they're going to be revising the first fifteen. Next quiz, first twenty, whatever. Um, and but yes, they have a knowledge organizer per per topic. Um, and we also do so at the end of year seven, um, they'll cover they'll have a big massive quiz. It's great fun on uh, everything that they've covered in year seven. And then at the end of year eight, they'll have their big end of year eight one, but they'll also have a quiz on some of the stuff that they did in year seven. Um, and it's same in year nine. So they do come come across the the stuff again, um, again, for all of the reasons that you mentioned space practice, forgetting curve, all that kind of good stuff. <laughs> Yeah, the good stuff. I love that. The thought that they kind of, you don't just do it in year seven and forget it, but it comes up again and again. So the learning deepens rather than just kind of moving on from one to the next. I love that. And in there, you mentioned, um, textbooks and so on. Uh, and you use textbooks and, and booklets in your teaching. Uh, and some, um, there's some misconceptions about 
teaching using booklets and, and textbooks. Can you share with us, Abby, what are the common misconceptions about teaching from textbooks or booklets? Yeah, of course. So we teach our entire Key Stage 3 curriculum using a series of textbooks called the Knowing Religion textbooks, and they're really great. Um, and at Key Stage 4 and Key Stage 5, we use booklets, uh, which we've written ourselves, which are essentially the same as a textbook. They contain the content. Um, and I, in my, in my training school, uh, in Birmingham, I, I would never have dreamed of teaching a lesson using a textbook. I, I think I'd be sort of, thought that as a cool modern teacher I wanted to reject all of the things that I thought were old fuddy-duddy teaching and textbooks kind of fell into that that um fuddy-duddy teachers use textbooks uh, uh camp and so I would never have dreamed of using a textbook um and and moreover I think I would have been lambasted had I used a textbook in my lesson um and I think that that's as you say because of the the misconceptions that that uh, exist around teaching teaching lessons from textbooks and from booklets. Um, I think the first one is that, uh, it's, that people's teachers perceive textbooks as being a kind of straitjacket. Um, they stop teachers from from um, having the freedom to explain things how they want to explain them, and uh, they, they're restrictive. They're kind of bound by the content of the textbook or the booklets. Um, and I think you know we, we've all had those experiences of oh, well, I, well, I wouldn't explain it like that, or I would have used a different example, or that's a bit of a funny order to put it in. Um, and to a degree, that's true. You know, somebody else has written it, so somebody else hasn't used your way of explaining it or your words. Um, so I think people think that they could be restrictive. Um, I think the second one is that it's kind of just a bit lazy, maybe, for teachers to use textbooks. Um, you know, shouldn't teachers be making the, the material for themselves? Isn't, isn't it kind of part of a teacher's job to, to write the stuff, to make the PowerPoints, to make the, the resource, to make the worksheet, all that kind of stuff? Um, so it's, you know, what am I doing if I'm not making the stuff? Uh, if, you know, if the textbook's already done it for me. Uh, I think another one um, is a, a big misconception is that um, textbook lessons are boring. Uh, they're fuddy duddy. If, if you kind of, you know, if you Google boring classroom, I'm sure that the the images that come up are people sat in rows with textbooks on their desks and heads on their desks, I imagine. Um, so, yeah, it's just a textbook lessons bound to be dull. Um, and then I think finally, it's something that I was, again, very much guilty of thinking in my first school was that there was just no way that the pupils I taught would read that much um that I sort of I mean coming back to the kind of gamifying it that I sort of had to slip the learning in somehow slip the the content in somehow without them really realizing um and that there was no way that pupils would would ever read that much and a, a double page of the the textbook series that we use in knowing religion series is um about 800 to a thousand words and it, it's a lot of reading um so yeah I think people think goodness my pupils would never read that much it's certainly a, a, a lot of gold in there. And I love that one about, um, let me know what about lazy for teachers to do it. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy to think about, it, but like I've seen so many department shared folders of PowerPoints where you've got PowerPoint version one, PowerPoint version two, PowerPoint Abby's version, PowerPoint Darren's version two. And it's just madness, absolute madness. Talk about going back about consideration of time and impact. Like you've got one right there. So I'd like to follow that up, Abby. Can you, can you bust some of those myths from, from your experience from your early days in Birmingham to, to now and, and what you do now and why teaching using textbooks is so powerful? Yeah, I'll, I'll do my best. I'll do my best to bust them. Um, so 
Firstly, the idea that textbooks are restrictive. Uh, I mean, I suppose you've got you've got to pick a good textbook, um, and I'm sure that there are some textbooks out there that are better than others. Um, but there are some really amazing textbooks out there. Um, West London Free School, we use them in lots of different subject areas. We use them in, in classics and Latin, geography, history, maths, uh, so on. Um, and of course, you know, a textbook's never perfect. If we were to write our own version, uh, we would probably write it very differently to the ones that already exist. Um, but I think what they do provide is a really strong starting point and and of course you have the freedom to adapt things so you can have a powerpoint that has different images on it to the ones that are in the textbook or different questions on it to the ones that are in the textbooks different tasks um you can add a video in if you want to you could skip a bit of the textbook you could add some additional reading an additional worksheet whatever it might be um but the point is that they provide a really strong starting point um and also i think a starting point that's really been thought carefully about by somebody who has had the time to do that thinking so I I mean the writers of the textbooks presumably have had kind of quite a lot of headspace to think carefully about how to I don't know word something clearly or how to order the content or or whatever there's lots of hard work that goes into textbook creation and and quite frankly I just don't have the time to make a resource for every year group for every lesson that is as consistently high quality as what's going to be produced in a textbook in in good textbooks Um, so by choosing to use a textbook I'm kind of uh, th- th- that might not be perfect, but it's pretty good. I'm kind of making a choice to give myself time to do other things um, that I think end up being more impactful than if I was spending all of my evenings and, and weekends writing resources from scratch, as you say, as lots of staff at, at round schools s- still do. Um, and I think a big part of the the retention crisis in teaching is is workload obviously a big part of the retention crisis is workload and workload comes from teachers spending evenings and weekends making resources that they don't need to because something that's pretty good exists already no certainly does <laughs> um, this carry yeah. on sorry so there's um yeah so there's there's the idea that they're restrictive but actually you you still have freedom to to do with them what you will and they provide a really good starting points um and i think that's kind of connected to the issue of laziness isn't it just kind of lazy to use someone else's stuff there's a kind of guilt that i didn't make this um so can i really use it um and uh, you know teachers say all the time there's no need to reinvent the wheel I don't think we're actually very good at that, um, at sticking to the idea of not reinventing the wheel. I think we unnecessarily remake things all the time. Um, but I, I think the laziness thing comes, comes out of a kind of lack of, lack of, I don't know, understanding of what to do with a textbook. Um, so what am I actually supposed to be doing? Maybe we'll talk more about this, but I think there's a really important distinction between resourcing a lesson and planning a lesson. Uh, just because you know what the double page spread of a textbook or a booklet looks like and what you'll be reading that lesson, that doesn't mean that your lesson's planned. Uh, there is still plenty of work to do. Um, and again, I would argue that the work that you can do to plan a lesson when the resource is already in place uh, has the potential to be far more impactful than writing a worksheet or making a PowerPoint from scratch when when there's already something half decent available. I think you can do far more impactful things than, than writing something from scratch. Um, Thirdly, what was my third misconception? Oh, textbooks and booklets are boring. Goodness. Um, absolute rubbish. Um, I, I mean, I, sl- I slightly despair at this one. If you don't believe that the content of your lesson is the most interesting part, then I, I, why are you teaching it? Like, <laughs> um, I think, you know, you want the content of your lesson to be the thing of the greatest interest. And I, I think textbooks 
really are about the content. They allow the content to shine through. There's no games, there's no gimmicks. Um, it's just interesting stuff. Uh, and, you know, teachers plan to, to lift the content off the page and make it really fascinating. Um, and I've, I've also kind of noticed in the time that I've been using them at West London the last five years that I think pupils kind of love the familiarity of a textbook. I don't think they resent the lesson being the same every time. I think they actually really like it. They always know where they are in a divinity lesson. They know they're going to come into a divinity lesson. There's going to be a textbook or a booklet and they're going to, the teacher's going to give it a bit of welly. They're going to answer some questions on it. Uh, and that's, I think, kind of why they like it. It's it's safe. It's there's nothing to worry about in divinity. Um, there's nothing unexpected. Uh, the content is the complex thing. Um, they have to think hard about the content, um, and so the tasks can be simple. And I think that's the 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 right way around. Um, and, I, and I'd also say, you know, if you think textbooks lessons are boring, I think you should should go and, and see textbooks being used in all of the schools that are using them. And um, I think I think you'll see that actually they're they're far from boring there. I think I think you do have to see it often to believe it. I mean, we've had lots of visitors who, who've come in and been dubious about them and then been converts once they've seen them in reality. So, yeah, go go and see some lessons in a school with textbooks and you won't think they're boring anymore. <laughs> Touch wood. <laughs> um and what, uh, the final one is that pupils won't read that much. Um, well, I uh, guess they will. Of course they will. Um, I mean, what a glorious thing it would be if, if, um, pupils were reading 800 words in several lessons a day. Like how much would that improve their literacy and their vocabulary and their confidence and their writing? And, uh, you know, th- this generation of young people, they're not natural readers because they're, they're, they have smartphones. Um, so they're reading books less than ever. Um, and they are missing out as a result of course and anything that we can kind of do to combat that mitigate against that um, and to get them reading in school uh, is I think an excellent thing so they will read they have to get used to it maybe but of course they will um, and I think you know the the idea that we shouldn't use textbooks because they'll have to read quite a lot is well, I think we'd be doing a disservice to to all our young people <laughs> no I wholeheartedly agree with that last one about you have done so much work in or so much work, so much research around reading, had so much people on the podcast that I think a school that has their students or gives their students the, the opportunity to read 800 to 1,000 words or less and it's just enriching them so, so much. You know, literacy is the gateway to almost absolutely everything. To um, everything, yeah. And it's, I love that. And I love what you said about the familiarity of divinity lessons. I mean, if you, I, th- I think that's so, such a powerful idea of the students know what's going to happen in lessons if they know the routines of the lessons they know what's expected of them it then creates that space for them to think deeply about the content is go back to what you said earlier referencing Louis Everett to be cognitively active because they're not thinking about oh what's happening next what do I need to do here what do I need to do it's it's that it's already there for them and then and I want to tap into this idea you mentioned about um, lesson planning because I want to to dig into how you plan a lesson using a textbook because is, is that more about lesson planning or as Doug Lamov mentions in TLAC 3.0 is it about lesson preparation uh, totally about lesson preparation I guess um I, I think yeah there's a lot of stuff that goes into preparing a lesson for delivery e- even if you've got a textbook or a powerpoint there um and I think 
when when I've spoken to teachers in the past who haven't used textbook lessons uh, before, haven't used booklets, um, they're always kind of slightly puzzled by like, where's the actual lesson? Like, what what do you do? Um, and and I think there's this kind of idea that you can kind of waltz into a lesson knowing that you're teaching page 28 and 29 and not do much uh beforehand but i think i mean you probably can do that but i'm not sure you'll teach a very good lesson i think the best lessons are the ones where you've you've thought really carefully about almost every moment of the lesson and how it's going to run um so i think uh the beauty of textbooks is that they give you the gift of time in a sense the time that you would have spent on writing the material can be can instead be spent on preparing the delivery of of the material um and i can think much more deeply about how best to deliver the content in a way that's engaging and understandable and and really memorable um so i mean to give you a flavor of uh, how I plan my lessons. I'm teaching uh, the first ethics lesson of the units to year nine, period six tomorrow, uh, the graveyard shift for year, period six on a Friday. Um, so uh, I always start my lessons, almost always start my lessons with uh, peppering, um, which is uh, TLAC uh, technique, which is essentially loads of quick fire, cold calling of, of prior knowledge. Um, it's like verbal retrieval practice. Um, and I think it's great for loads of reasons. I love it as a technique. It's probably my favourite uh, TLAC technique. Um, it gets the pupils thinking really early on. It builds energy. Obviously, it's retrieval practice, um, but it gets them remembering the content that they'll need for the lesson. It creates a feeling of success really early on because they're getting questions right. And it's like, oh, I'm good at divinity. Woo, let's do some more. Um, uh, there are loads of benefits to it, but it's actually... Well, I find it at least quite tricky to do because it happens so quickly. Um, and if it's not quick, then the energy just falls flat in the room if you're umming and ahhing and, and it's taking too long to think of the questions. Um, and that's especially the case if you've, you know, you've just come from the top floor to the bottom floor and you were teaching Hinduism and now you're teaching Christianity to get my mind going that quickly, um, is tough. So I write in the top corner of, of the textbook page or the booklet page, um, all of the answers that I want to get out of the pupils um and then that helps me to come up with the questions much more quickly um and if i didn't have those prompts then i would stand there like a, a wally going oh, oh it would all just be a bit of a dud start to the lesson um but there's no way i could have thought about planning something on that minuter level um if it weren't for the fact that i didn't have the textbook there for me already um so planning my peppering is probably what I start every lesson preparation with. Um, and the next thing I think about is, is chunking the material uh, into to manageable chunks for the people so that they're not experiencing um, cognitive overload. You know, you've got two pages or 800 words or whatever to cover. Um, when I <laughs> when I did my interview lesson at West London, actually, I'd, ne- I'd never taught a textbook lesson or a booklet lesson before. I'd never taught in rows. Um, so it was this kind of crazy experience of I I could be doing this entirely wrong and I did do it entirely wrong um so I I had written a worksheet of content and and some comprehension questions at the bottom because I thought that was you know that's what I should do and it, it obviously it got me the job so it can't have been that bad but 
Um, the one thing that I did do, which was a, a big mistake, and I know that now, is that they read the entire sheet of content and then they answered all the questions together at the end. Um, and I, now, a days, now I'm older and wiser. Um, I, they, I, when I'm planning my textbook lesson, I look at the questions, um, that, that's a sort of deliberate practice that the pupils are going to do in that lesson. And I then read through the content of the lesson and I break up where each bit of deliberate practice or each question is going to go or each task is going to go. So they need to answer that question after they've read that bit. They need to answer that question after they've read that bit and so on. So I plan my peppering, plan my chunking. Um, and then I think about uh, explanation and how I can make the the content come to life in the lesson um, and how I can explain that really tricky concept as clearly as possible or how I'm going to make them remember the kind of key knowledge of the lesson. Um, you know, do I need to brush up on my subject knowledge here? Uh, is this going to require a big sell? And what my, what is my big sell going to be for this lesson? Uh, do I need to pre-explain any content or can we kind of launch straight into the reading? What are the possible misconceptions? Um, uh, oh, are there any like, you know, anecdotes I can include, analogies, funny examples? Can I, you know, take on a role or be a bit dramatic in this particular storytelling? Um, you know, a bit of a, a few bad divinity jokes that we whip out every now and again. Um, so all that kind of stuff, like how am I going to bring the content to life um, in, in the most memorable way possible for the pupils? Um, and again, I just maybe I can't remember, but I can't ever remember sitting down when I had a PowerPoint lesson and thinking, how am I going to make them, how am I going to make this explanation really clear? How am I going to make them really understand that tricky concept? I just can't ever remember doing that before I taught a lesson from a textbook. I, ju I just don't think I did. I think I was just so knackered after, you know, printing and cutting out my card sort that I thought, sod it, I'm going home, <laughs> you know? Um, you know, so yeah, I think planning, planning the explanation is obviously crucial. I mean, what was I doing? If I wasn't planning how I was going to explain the content, I don't know what I was doing, but I, I think, you know, textbooks have allowed me to do that. Um, then I think about kind of uh, interleaving and are there any possible moments in the lesson where I can go back to something that they've learned previously. So if you've got a really good textbook or really good booklet, then the content kind of builds on each other. Um, and, you know, there, there will be other places where, I don't know, the textbook or the booklets use the word rebirth, but actually year nine have already covered Buddhism and Hinduism. So there's an opportunity to there to say, it's, well, we know the technical term for rebirth is actually reincarnation and to revisit some of that stuff. Or, um, you know, the, the, if, the, if the phrase says people who don't believe in God and you're like, well, actually, we know the proper word for that. That's atheist. And what, what's a different kind of atheist? Humanist, blah, blah, blah. So there's the opportunities to kind of re, you can look for those opportunities to uh, review previous previous learning and then finally I guess this year um big thing has been planning moments for for people teacher dialogue so when's my questioning going to happen um uh ha ha what kind of questioning am I going to use here so for the most part it's cold call questioning um but also planning moments for turn and talk so turn and talk is something that I've used more and more 
this year, really. I've um, speaking to a colleague of mine called Dave. We used to joke about Turn and Talk when we first joined West London, and call, we used to call it Twizzle and Chat to your mate. Um, and we always kind of didn't take it very seriously. Thought it was you know a bit faffy and um, and and a bit gimmicky, maybe. I don't know. Um, but I've I've learned to love Turn and Talk, particularly I think Pashair, I suppose, uh, over the last um, year or so, uh, because it offers that opportunity for pupils to dialogue and practice their ideas and um and then you do what's called warm call afterwards so they've warmed up so it's not cold call anymore it's warm call i love that um so uh planning but 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 i've done a i've done some really bad turn and talks so the turn and talks when they, when i do bad ones are ones that i haven't planned because the 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 question isn't clear enough or crisp enough um so if i'm coming up with a question on the hoof it, it tends to be a bit fluffy and and not precise enough basically and they then don't come up with the things that I want them to come up with um so turn and talk works best when you've planned a really clear question because you want them to get the answer that you want them that that the idea of the turn and talk is for Um, so planning my moments of turn and talk um, and, and planning also my moments for call or response. So uh, in peppering, um, there are certain questions that you can use for call or response. N- normally one word, one word answers. Um, so, you know, what's the first book of the Bible? Genesis. They can all say Genesis at the same time. Um, but again, learn the hard way, trying to do call or response with phrases it's like an echo around the room of it's horrible um so you know planning what what can be done as a core response what can't be done as a core response what would work really well as a chant what won't work well as a chant uh, we've got a few fun divinity chants um and and trying to kind of come up with new opportunities for those um thinking about where pupils are going to need to practice a pronunciation of a word so i don't know empiricism rationalism descartes that kind of thing um so all of those sorts of things um, are what I do when I plan textbook lessons. Um, and, and I think I think if you do those things, I, I hope you'll agree that if you were to do all of those things well, it, it would go some way to making the lesson engaging and, and the content clearer and, and memorable. Um, and as I've said, I mean, I just I just don't think that I ever did those things before. I taught using textbooks and booklets. Um, and I think that doing all of those things is far more impactful on, on, on people's enjoyment, on people's memory, um, than me sat at my laptop till 10 p.m. writing something or making something or, or doing whatever. And, you know, textbooks might not be how you'd explain it, but they do allow you to make the lesson far more your own in many ways um, than using a resource that you've spent hours making but haven't been able to do any of the the nitty-gritty stuff um, of of lesson preparation. So that, for me, is the beauty of textbooks. That's why I love teaching from them and I will never go back. I'm sure that there will be, like, um, undulations and, you know, like with every education uh, every education kind of period, there's like things that come and go. And I'm sure textbooks will come out and come in again and come out and come in again. And I am determined that I will stick with them through thick and thin forevermore. <laughs> I, I just can't imagine not teaching with them. I, you know, they really, they really are the best. <laughs> you know, certainly. And there's a powerful uh, article written by Lucy Crehan about the, how, how many high performing nations use them. Uh, and it seems mm. to be, they do go in and out, but. What you've just described there is is incredible the detail for 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 one lesson, but the time you might have spent 
designing less in activity to less in activity to less in activity and, and the materials for that are now spent preparing deeply for lessons. It, I wonderful when you described there, you've just, you wrote down the answers you want for your peppering. You're outsourcing your working memory so that when you get into that lesson, you can just boom, boom, you're, you talk about energy and giving it well. I can just, I can just picture it. You cut, you, you walk into the lesson and you've got that in front of you and it's just bang, 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 bang. And you've just lifted the, the energy in the room. And <laughs> I think, that. um, I think, you know, we talk a lot about people's experience in cognitive overload and trying to mitigate against that. But, you know, I, my memory works in exactly the, my mind works in exactly the same way as a, as a teenager's mind for the most part. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I experience cognitive overload too. So if I, if I, if I didn't have those prompts, then I wouldn't do as good a job on, on teaching the lesson as I could do. Um, and I annotate my textbooks endlessly. Um, so they, they have the, the annotations of the peppering and they have the annotations of where I'm going to ask each of the questions and, you know, my turn and talk questions I write in there all because I, I well, quite simply I'd forget if I didn't have it written down so it yeah it manages my working memory and my cognitive overload as well <laughs> I mean you know I, I think people people underestimate how difficult uh, well they don't underestimate it it is really hard to teach 29 teenagers all at the same time who some of whom actually really don't want to be there um and you know it, that is a impossible ridiculous thing to do six times a day it's a crazy job and so anything that you can do to try and make it a little bit easier and and you know remember help yourself to remember the things that you had the best intentions of doing before you were in the room for, in front of 29 teenagers is uh, is a good thing in my book i think yeah it, it, you know so many things happen in the first 30 seconds of a lesson someone's arrived late not got their book someone's missing their tie someone's got to go to a music lesson someone's at your door wanting something from you they haven't got an exercise you know it, and then all of your good intentions have gone out the door and i find having my my annotated textbook is is my safe safe place. You mentioned this this term of giving it lots of welly, and, and what you're describing a lot is these kind of high paced, energetic lessons, and, and that preparation that you've described there is just is just absolutely fantastic. I do the same with um, my mathematics classes. I I, I I scribble all over the textbook, and, and who I'm, and I even go down to the detail of. Who is being asked that question and who's being asked that question to really try and target the students in, in their learning? Um, so that, so that brings us to the end of the interview section. Abby, I've absolutely loved listening to that and, and, and the insights that you've, that you've given into, into your classroom. I'd, I'd love one day to get down to London and, and watch one of these divinity lessons. And I, I might, I might come, I've got a Harry Potter wand and a Harry Potter tie. I might come just and, 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 and dig that up. But no, just, just to come and come and see that. Cause what you've described is just absolutely fantastic, fantastic high impact um, teaching, which, which if, if that was every lesson and children were reading 800 words, it's just what an education. It's just fantastic. So thank <laughs> you for sharing that. Um, well, so you'd be very, t- you'd be very welcome to come and visit. <laughs> Certainly, I'll, I'll put it on my to-do list. Um, <laughs> so we're going to move into my quick fire round. These are the three questions I ask every guest. Um, but before we do that, can you can I point listeners in a direction where they can can I get in touch with you? Perhaps a a, a social media handle a, a, and point them in the direction of of informa- more information on um, the Divin- divinity at West London Free School. 
Sure. So um, my Twitter handle is Abby, A-B-B-Y, the letter J, J, Hughes, H-E-G-H-E-S. Um, and you, but you can also email me at West London. It's a.hughes at wlfs.org. Um, I am always happy to chat all things divinity or all things teaching and learning. Um, the, uh, to, to find out more about kind of West London Free School, the website's got the seven principles of West London Free School lesson on if you'd like to read more about those. Um, if you want to, uh, access some, uh, amazing divinity resources that, that we use in our curriculum, um, all of the knowledge organisers that we use uh, that correspond with the Knowing Religion textbook series are available for free on Dropbox um, and Collins do loads of other free teacher resources and quizzes and, and stuff like that. So um, the, the Collins Knowing Religion webpage is really, really good um, for free kind of teacher resources. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I think those are the best places to, to find out divinity related things. Right, thank you. I encourage listeners to to get involved and go on to the website and and, and hear more about that and um, read more about that. So, thank you so much for sharing. So, the quick fire round. I've got three questions. Um, some guests are really good at being quick. Some some guests um, turn it into a slow fire round. But um, feel free to, to <laughs> play it how 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 you'd like to. So, are you ready for them? Uh, uh well, I think so. We'll see. <laughs> so, the first question, Abby, is: What are you reading currently? I am rereading Why Don't Students Like School by William um, because we have got our inaugural Friday breakfast book club session uh, at the end of this half term and we are going to be reading some chapters from that. So I'm just uh, picking which chapters we're all going to read and then discuss in our Friday breakfast book club. Very exciting. Oh, that is very exciting. I, I lo- love that Love that idea of, of kind of reading and debating such a fantastic book. Um, my second question to you is, what is your current professional development focus? That's a cracking question. So uh, my current professional development focus, I am thinking about how I can get better at helping teachers get better. Um, so I, part of my uh, responsibility uh, uh, this year is um, I'm the professional mentor for the ECTs and for the trainees, um, but I also have responsibility for CPD and INSET. So uh, how I can get better at helping teachers get better is is a big focus. Um, and there's so much good stuff out there on on coaching and um, on. I mean, I need to read Doug Lamov's, uh guide to being a coach that's a good starting point i suppose so yeah that's that's what i'm thinking about a lot at the moment no certainly that uh, coach's guide to teaching is a fantastic mm. fantastic book. as a pe teacher I, I i i want to use it to train other pe teachers because i think it's just a fantastic fantastic tool um so it's lovely for reference and, and that idea i think all the time about how i can help teachers get better and i've not cracked it yet <laughs> there's still so much to to learn and to do so if you find any uh, <laughs> golden nuggets please feel free to, to send them my way um, so my last question to you abby is what do you love most about being a teacher <sighs> um guys uh, it's the best job um i i suppose the kids like working with teenagers people I mean people say don't work with kids I think do it's the most refreshing exciting thing to go into work every day and be surrounded by these people who are not um sort of (laughs) I was about to use the word jaded to describe adults um jaded by life I don't know (laughs) 
<laughs> um, they're just so full of energy and, and full of life. And I think it's an absolute privilege to 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 get to teach some stuff um and i i think uh, i teaching it's funny you should ask this question today i was running detention at the end of uh, school today um and a pupil came up to me at the end he said miss why are you a teacher you could be making so much more money doing something else um and i explained to him that you know there are lots of of jobs uh that that i could be doing i suppose um but i'm not sure that they offer me the same things that teaching offers teachers I think there's an autonomy um in teaching that I'm not sure you get in other jobs I think you know six times a day I get to shut the door and sort of have jurisdiction over these 29 young minds and kind of to a degree do what I want to do with them um obviously it's the, you know the curriculum dictates things and the exam boards dictate things and my school dictate things but actually there is a huge amount of freedom in shutting the door and having control of a classroom um so a huge amount of autonomy that I don't think you get in other jobs and I think you get to see the impact of your work in a way that you don't get to in other jobs so um uh, you know I at the start of a 55 minute period they don't know something and at the end hopefully they do um and it's a very quick turnaround in terms of impact and I think in other jobs you work on a tiny bit of a tiny bit of something else and a tiny bit you never really get to see the impact of what you do in quite the same way so I'm I'm not sure there are many jobs that offer you the same autonomy the same impact um and just the same amount of fun as working with with kids does that was a very long-winded answer i'm sorry i did okay on the other two though so (laughs) no it was such a such a beautiful answer there was so many in there i love that first bit is that you get to teach children all this stuff and i love that kind of that angle um of taking it and you're right the the instant impact that we can have so thank you so much for sharing that um with us so that brings us to the end of the interview for becoming educated Abby I'd love love to take this moment to thank you so so much for giving up a Thursday evening after such a busy day to come and chat with me I I really do appreciate it no thank you so much for having me I've I've really enjoyed it um yeah it's it's been great fun actually I was really nervous um and yeah I've really really enjoyed chatting to you so thank you so much for having me I'm I'm really grateful thank you so much for listening to becoming educated Before you go, can I ask for a few things that will only take a minute? I'd love it if you could review the podcast wherever you are listening from to get each episode into more ears. If you want to support the podcast, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash DN Leslie. And finally, to keep the conversation going, please use the hashtag becomingeducated and tag me on Twitter at DN Leslie. I'll be back soon with more insights and knowledge from the greatest profession on earth.